want to start out by giving you a name that some of you are going to recognize right off. Others probably not. The name is Chan Gailey. Now, you may know this fellow. He was the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys for a couple seasons back in the late 90s. But prior to that, but prior to his long NFL coaching experience as a head coach and assistants here and there, uh, he was the head coach at Troy State University. That's a school in Alabama, who in 1984 uh, played for and won the Division II National Championship. Just prior to that championship game, the week prior, the last practice that Troy State would have before the big game, Cham was headed to the practice field when his assistant, secretary, someone called him and said, you've got a phone call. He quickly turned and said, take a message. Turned around and headed back to the practice field. Well, that's understandable. But then he heard these words, it's Sports Illustrated. He said, tell him I'll be right there. I made all the difference in the world. He imagined that cover story in Sports Illustrated. Quickly flashed through his mind. Pride comes easy for all of us, doesn't it? Especially when we're, especially when we're caught unaware. We didn't expect this or that. I mean, it, it just comes out. Pride has afflicted the human race since Satan said, you can be like God in the Garden of Eden. We all wrestle with it all the time. Pride comes so easy. Given the right situation, it'll, it'll dictate our thoughts and our actions. I pulled into the parking lot this morning. Now, you've got to understand, I can't park my truck. I just, I could never get it in a parking place. I tried four times, looked out the door, I still wasn't over far enough. Finally had to get back in after I got out. Look, I said, that's a mess. It was like, it was really like I got back in the fifth time, backed up, and finally put it in the parking place. I finally got it between the two lines, got out, began to walk into the church and look back, and I was like three feet back from the line. I said, forget it. <laughs> well, why did I care the first time? Because pride just slips up on you in any and every circumstance. We want to look good in public, right? But Jesus said, this is Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, that's enough that Jesus said that. But just remember this. That same statement, in one variation or another, is repeated four more times in the New Testament, besides Matthew 23. 
Luke 14, 11, Luke 18, 14, James 4, 10, and 1 Peter 5, 6. God wants us to be humble. He will reward us for being humble. And he will not tolerate our pride. John the Baptist is the subject of our message this morning. The first of these four personalities in John chapter 1. And John is perhaps the greatest human example of humility that you could think of. Now, we're all pretty familiar with him, so let's just review a couple things. He dressed very humbly. He wore camel's hair and a leather belt. He didn't dress like the kings. He didn't dress in the royal garments. He dressed like some guy in the backwoods. He consumed a humble diet. He ate locusts and wild honey. I can imagine the wild honey. That tastes pretty good. I don't know about the locusts. But the point was, that's what those people in the backwoods of the wilderness in Judea had for food. He didn't have the fine things on the table. He carried on his ministry in the wilderness, far from Jerusalem. He didn't go somewhere and garner a crowd. He went out in the middle of nowhere, and the crowds came to him. And always he pointed people to Jesus, and he sought absolutely no personal notoriety. And there were many flocking to hear him who were willing to give him that notoriety. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11 that John was the greatest. There was none none greater than John among men. Truly I say to you, Among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet humility has become a forgotten, a forgotten path to serving God, a forgotten path to living as a believer, a forgotten path to growth and effective service. Humility is not appreciated in our world, not at all. What does humility look like for us today? Do we really know anything about humility? Do we know how to be humble? Those are good questions for all of us to ponder. The good news is that we can learn how to be humble. And John is an example of just what we need to do to be humble individuals as God wants us to be. So we should be humble servants of God, just just like we see in the life of John the Baptist. That means we have to practice humility. There's things we have to do. There's choices we have to make to be humble. We're not just humble, well, I have a humble attitude. It just comes natural. No, it doesn't. It doesn't come natural. We've got to work at it. So there are three requirements that each of us need to be zeroed in on if we're going to be humble. Humble servants of the Lord. 
The first of those three requirements is this. We have to recognize the authority of God over our life. Now, some of these verses I will read to you will not be on screen. There's too many to just put them all up there. So uh, follow along if you can. But I want to begin in verse 14 of John 1, where John writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's where we begin. John the Baptist is the next step in the Gospel of John. That, that's, that's where John's going to go. And John says... that there was one coming after him that was greater than him. And he's referring back to the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate second person of the Godhead. So recognizing the true authority of God begins with and is based on the person of Jesus Christ. He is God the Son. He always was. He always has been. He became a man. He took upon himself human flesh that men could see his glory, could see him face to face. So John's message, John's life, John's example begins at this point. Now, John recognizing that Jesus was above him, that Jesus was the authority, that God had sway over his life in in complete detail, meant that he was dedicated to the Lord. He recognized who it was that he served. This made John a very unique preacher and prophet. John had a unique balance between boldness and humility. For example, Luke 3, 7 to 8 speaks of his boldness. The crowds were coming to him, and, and Luke 3, 7 says, So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for a father. For I say to you that from those, these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. So John wasn't some weak Milk toast pushover. He was very bold in his message. He was very bold in pointing out sin. He was bold in his preaching. At the same time, he was a very, very humble individual. So humility is not about just fading into the background. It's all about recognizing why you say what you do, why you act like you do, why uh, you live the life you do, and, and why it is you serve the Lord. Now, John follows this up in verse 15 and, and gives us this information. I say, there's two Johns here, so please forgive me. I'm probably going to confuse John the disciple who wrote the book of John and John the Baptist, okay? So John wrote it, but he's describing John the Baptist here, and that's who the John is in verse 15. Luke 1.15, or excuse me, John 1.15, I'll further confuse that. John 1.15, John testified about him, that's capital H, about Jesus. John testified about him and cried out saying, 
This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So here we see the preeminence of Jesus Christ. He is eternal. He preexisted. John, obviously. You might say, how's that so? John was born six months before Jesus. Yes, but Jesus existed in eternity before he became a man. John says, he was before me. He is, he is ranked above me. I serve him. I bow down to him. He is my authority. But don't miss the last part of verse 16. It says, for his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. That means grace followed by grace. Or to look at it another way, grace upon top of grace. This grace never ending, grace ever proceeding from Jesus Christ to those of us that have placed our faith in him. We come to know him through faith and we receive his grace, the unmerited favor of God that we might enter into a saving relationship with him and, and receive eternal life. But grace doesn't end there. Grace begins there. And for everything we do and everything we say and every responsibility we have to fulfill and every challenge we face, we have his grace. It goes on and on and on. Paul referred to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. Remember, he'd asked God to please take away the thorn in the flesh and he received a negative answer. The answer he got from God is this, my grace is sufficient for you. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about at the moment of dealing with that thorn in the flesh. So the first thing we need to understand when it comes to being humble, being humble servants of the Lord, is we have to practice humility. And to do that, we first have to recognize God's authority over our life. Now, that's a given, right? We all know that. We didn't learn any new information here. But we all are challenged by the reality because we live so much of our life without any thought. What's, what, what is it that I need to be doing? What is it God wants me to do? But let's move on to the second requirement. The second thing we're going to have to do is this. We need to focus on our responsibilities. If we are humbled, if we are bowed down before a greater authority, if we recognize that authority, then we are going to be responsible to obey him. We will have responsibilities. God wants us to focus on our responsibilities, not on our own ego, our own idea of success, our own uh, notoriety, whatever. He wants us just to focus simply on our responsibilities. So looking at John chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, we read this. John the Apostle <laughs> writes, this is the testimony of John, that's John the Baptist. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. 
Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Now, that seems like strange questions to, to ask, but there was an understanding among the Jewish rabbis, a, a general consensus that Elijah would come back prior to the Messiah's coming. This is based on Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Now, they were, they were a little bit off in understanding it. And in a sense, John did come in the, in the spirit and power of Elijah, but he wasn't really Elijah. He wasn't Elijah resurrected. He denied, I'm not Elijah. Now, think about it for a minute. John's out in the wilderness. Hundreds, hundreds of people flocking to hear him. He's baptizing people. He is the talk of every town. And now the, the highest up in the ranks of, of, of Judaism, the, the, of, the, of the leaders, the priests, the Levites, they, they, they come out and they say, who are you? Are, are you Elijah? It had, very, very, <clears throat> it had been very easy for John to say, well, I might be. <laughs> or even worse, yes. He said, no. I'm not here to be a personality. I'm not here to make an impression. They said, well, are you the prophet? This goes back to Deuteronomy 18.15. The prophet likened to Moses, which is a prophecy of the Messiah. He says, no, I'm not the prophet either. Neither one. Now look at John chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. This should be on screen. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? You're, you're nobody we thought you might be. Who in the world are you? We, we need to take some message back. We need to say, you're, you know, you're this important person. You're this, you, you're, you're this wonderful, uh, uh, unique individual. Who are you? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Quoting the Old Testament there. But what does he say about himself? I'm just somebody doing what I'm told to do. I'm just someone who's fulfilling the responsibility God gave me. I'm preparing the way of the Lord. I'm preceding the Messiah. I'm not here because of who I am. I'm here because of who is following me, who is coming. It's so easy to get the world's concept ingrained in our thinking and acting and, 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 and the things we do. And as I said previously, true humility is not appreciated in the world. I ran on to a, a an article, a blog post, actually, of a, actually, of a man, uh, a pastor in Ireland, Mark Lothridge. And in his blog post, he was discussing something he called humble brag. Humble brag. That doesn't even make sense, does it? He went on to say that humble brag That humble brag had to do with things people post on social media. And he gave a list. He said, sometimes people will 
get on social media and they will try to act humble in order to gain attention. And it's really pride. And he gave an example. He said, they make statements such as, I am humbled to be voted number one. Well, that's not a humble statement, is it? But it's kind of presented like I am humble. And he said, sometimes it'll be a complaint. Someone will get on there and say, well, why, why, why do I always get asked to do the most important projects at work? And I love this one. So sometimes they'll post a, a picture of themselves, a photo, and maybe it'll be a lady, and the, and the caption of the photo will be something like, I never have anything right to wear. I never have anything to wear. And in the background, I got a designer garment hanging there in the closet that everybody can see. It's, it's what he calls humble brag. Boasting disguises humility. John, John was n nothing like that. John was simply about, here's who I serve, here's what I'm supposed to do. How much we can simplify our lives and what a great step that we could take, a couple of steps we could take toward humility if we could just follow those two simple things. Put myself under authority and do what I'm supposed to do. Everything else can go out the window. Our concern should always be with humble service, like it was in the case of John the Baptist. It was all about, what am I supposed to do? Okay. But he said, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, to quote Isaiah. That brings us to verse 25. John 1.25, they had another question for him. They asked him and they said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Now that seems like a strange question because Jewish people were not baptized. Jewish religion, the religion of Judaism as it had become, insisted that those folks who were not Jewish by birth, those that were Gentiles, could become worshipers of the true God of heaven, the God of the Jews, Yahweh. They could, they could enter into that, but they had to first be baptized. Now, it wasn't looked at like we in English, look at the term baptism. It was, it was kind of more like a statement where a, a Gentile had to be washed. And, and his sin had to be, you know, symbolically, by this, this uh, rite, uh, he was saying, my, I'm invoking my sinful ways, and I'm becoming a follower of God and a, and a keeper of the law. But only Gentiles... John says, in answer to this question, they, they said, well, why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ? Again, they had some Old Testament passages that led them to believe that the Messiah would do this baptizing of non-Jewish people when he came. But now here's John. This is why they said, who are you? Because here's John baptizing Jewish people. These were not Gentiles he was baptizing. The people who were flocking to him were 
Jewish. So they were a little confused. They had associated in their minds, according to Ezekiel 36, 25, that baptism would be a part of the Messiah's work. And John says, he's not, he's not the Messiah. Let's take a look at, let's go back again. I guess we already got, got it on the screen. Let's go back and look at verse 26. And they asked him, said to him, why are you then baptizing if you're not the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And he answered and said, I baptize with the water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. Another text tell, tells us that Christ will baptize with the Spirit. I'm not going to get into that. But John here is making a very bold statement to the Jews about the fact that they need to come into a faith relationship with God and with the Messiah. John continues then, and he says this in verse uh, 27. He said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one of you do not know. Verse 27, it is he, the Messiah, who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. All of this, all of this to say to those Jewish religious leaders, I'm not the Messiah. I'm just a prophet. I am the one who comes before. I have a responsibility, and here's my responsibility. But he describes himself this way. He said, I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. Now, those of people of means in that day had a household slaves that would wash people's feet at the door when they came in. You, you've heard this before. Remember what Jesus did before the Last Supper. There were, no, there were no slaves there to do that. So Jesus took that humbled role, okay? Great example there, too, obviously. But John says, I'm not even worthy to do the slave's work of washing his feet. That's why he took the sandal off. He lowered himself down. So, so far, we've looked at two requirements for becoming humble servants of the Lord in order to practice humility. We need to recognize God's authority. We need to focus on our responsibility. By the way, what is your responsibility? Well, one of those is being a witness of Jesus Christ. And you're learning about that in ABFs as far as the, the, some of the particulars on how to do that. And I don't want to get into a discussion of how do we know God's will, but I will quote one man that was... Uh, a fellow lived a long time ago. His name was John Wesley. And I probably missed the exact quote, but he said something like this one time. When, when someone asked him, what is the will of God? He said, the will of God is whatever needs to be done that can be done through you. That's pretty simple, right? Now, we have gifts to serve. We have the help and the strength and the, the ability that the Spirit brings us to do what we should and to serve the Lord and fit into our role and be a part of the, of the body of Christ and to edify each other. Those, those responsibilities vary and are different person to person. And of course, a lot of them are the same for everybody. John said, just focus on those things. Just focus on those things. But then number three, the third requirement is this. 
Be content with God's purpose for your life. In other words, faithfully do what you, you personally are supposed to do. And that's, that's what we just talked about. You know, everybody has a unique place. We're, a, we're all a unique puzzle piece in the, in the body of Christ that fits into where we go. That's what God has meant for us. And then, of course, all of us together have, you know, certain general responsibilities as well. We need to be, though, content with God's purpose for us and where we fit and what we have to do. And John was certainly that. Uh, Verse 28. John, the gospel writer, says, These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. He was way out of town, way out in the wilderness, beyond the other side of the Jordan, and he was baptizing. Why was he baptizing? That was the way he was preparing people for the coming of the Lord. Just fulfilling his responsibilities, doing what he was supposed to do. This was his role. It wasn't his role to be the, the Elijah figure. It wasn't his role to be anything else, just to do that. So what is it that John did that all of us in our unique place within the body of Christ needs to be doing? And that is this. We need to be pointing people to Jesus Christ. It's all about the Lord And it's nothing about us. That's what John's life demonstrated. That's the way he lived his life. He was a no one other than what God meant him to be. And he was going to be faithful to do that. Now, let's look at John chapter 1, verse 29. Remember, he's baptizing out in the wilderness. And the crowds are there. The the leaders of Judaism are there, the religious leaders. John also has many of his own disciples that are there. In verse 29, the next day after this questioning by the Levites and the Pharisees, verse 29, the next day he, that's John the Baptist there, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John had a much greater insight into the purpose and the ministry of the Messiah than probably anybody listening to him. Here is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. That, That was stated in front of some of his disciples. Verse 35, again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Why does, why does John, the writer of the Gospel of John, record this statement by John the Baptist in both cases? Well, that's what happened, yes, and it's history, yes. But why did John reemphasize it? Why did John say it the second time? I think it's largely because the ones he was saying it to didn't get it the first time. Now, not that they didn't believe it or not that they rejected it, but John was saying, hey, you who are my disciples, you are here following me, helping me and serving with me. You need to be looking somewhere else. He pointed them to Jesus. 
Now, that's not natural to human nature. Human nature is we got somebody who's close to us, somebody that we appreciate, somebody that, that we love, and we like being around them. And, and uh, if by some chance God calls them to depart and go and fulfill this ministry or be a missionary, sometimes we get very, you know, down about that. John, John didn't attempt in any way to hold on to these disciples. He kept saying, behold, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. They didn't get it at first, but he was pointing them to Jesus Christ. Verse 37 says, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Now there's some guesswork that goes on here as to who the two disciples were. Number one, the first disciple here is Andrew. It's going to be identified a little bit later. The second disciple of John is never identified. Some, and, and I think it's a good assumption that this is probably John, the writer of the gospel, who all through the gospel never referred to himself by name. Remember, he always called himself the one whom Jesus loved. That wasn't an arrogant statement. He wasn't saying, I'm the only one he loves. He just said, I'm just one of those that Jesus loves. So he just probably doesn't name himself. So it's probably John and Andrew. And they both, they both the second day get the point. And they leave John and they follow Jesus. Now this wasn't their formal and final calling to be the disciples of Jesus. That comes a little bit later. But this was their initial introduction to the Messiah. So John the Baptist wasn't holding on to all that he had. He wasn't, he wasn't enamored by those who followed him and those that were uh, there to hear his message. He was pointing them beyond himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. John never had John on a pedestal. I like what C.S. Lewis once said. He said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Now, now chew on that one for a minute. Because the world thinks humility is just, you know, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, I'm no good, can't do anything. That's not humility. John didn't shirk his responsibilities. John didn't shy away from being bold when he was preaching. John didn't, didn't shrink back the responsibility of telling these Jewish people who thought they were good because they were born Jews, you're not good, you need to be baptized just like a Gentile. You need another step, it's faith. John didn't depreciate himself, he just didn't think of himself. That's humility. It's okay to understand what, what your place in the body of Christ is, what God's called you to do, whatever, but don't put the spotlight on yourself. You can't focus on yourself. You see, humility is a choice. Humility is something we have to choose every day. Let me give you a, a little humorous antidote. You can judge for yourself whether you think it actually happened when I get done. 
Well, let me give you this little humorous anecdote that will illustrate the point. Four guys are on a little small airplane and they're flying. There's a pilot. There's a Boy Scout. A computer whiz, computer genius, and an elderly gentleman. As they're flying, they certainly have mechanical problems, and the pilot says, we, we can't, you know, we, we can't make it. The plane's going to go down. But don't worry, I have some good news. I have three parachutes. There's four of them, okay? And the pilot says, and I have a family, and I have children, and I have responsibilities, and I just can't leave them, so I'm going to take one parachute. He grabs a parachute and jumps out. Well, the computer whiz, he quickly, quickly grabs up a parachute, too, and says, you know, what I do is so important to humanity and, I, and, 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 uh, and all these corporations and all these people in, in the world and, and I, I, uh, the things I know and the things I need to do. I, I can't lose that. He grabbed a parachute. He jumps out. Well, the elderly gentleman looks at the Boy Scout and says, look, I've lived a long, good life. The Lord's been good to me. You're just a young man. Take the last parachute and jump out. The Boy Scout looks up to him and says, don't worry, mister. The computer genius just took my backpack and jumped out. <laughs> Who was humble? Obviously, the elderly gentleman was humble, not because of anything other than what he chose to do at that moment, which was to put somebody else first and put himself second. And who was rewarded? The humble guy, <laughs> along with the Boy Scout. So kind of fits what the Scripture says. But this brings me back to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Paul said, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's humility. Choosing to regard other people more important than you, higher ranked than you. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that you're assessing their value. It just means that you put yourself on the bottom rung all the time with everybody. That's humility. That's what, exactly what Jesus did. In fact, also in Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8, we have the greatest possible example of humility, which was given to us by the Lord himself. Paul writes about it, he says, of Jesus, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He put himself in a humble position to pay the price for all of humanity. He even humbled himself in that sense when he became a man, when he took upon himself human flesh. You can't get any more humble than to give yourself for somebody else, to put their value that, to that degree, you know, to, to, to serve them in that way. 
So we should be humble servants of the Lord. What does it take to practice humility? Well, we've got to recognize God's authority. We have to focus on our responsibilities and then be content with that purpose. Not, not what position or what notoriety or what you can do for yourself, but just fulfilling God's purpose. And when we humble ourselves, the reward will eventually come. So Chan Gailey picked up the phone when Sports Illustrated called. The voice on the other line said, is this Chan Gailey? He confidently responded, yes, it is. The person on the other end of the line said, this is Sports Illustrated. And we're calling to let you know your subscription is about to run out. I <laughs> wanted to know if you'd be interested in renewing. I, I don't know anything much about Chan, but what he said in, in telling this story himself is just what we've been talking about. In fact, it echoes the words of Jesus. He concluded in telling this story by saying, you are either humble or you will be humbled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the point. Let's be humble servants by choice each and every day. Thank you.